Hi, I'm Kotz, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are starting a new series called Bible for Grown-Ups. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, we have some general knowledge of the Bible. Some of it was taught to you, some of them, those things you picked up along the way on your own, or maybe culture has informed you what the Bible is. And I thought it was time that we talked about, well, how are we supposed to read it? Like, as kids, we learn the Bible stories, but as grown-ups, we really haven't really evolved so much from there. So we're hoping that this series will give us an idea of how we should view the scriptures. And as a test, well, not a test to you, but test for me, I guess. Um, after this series, we're going to go through the book of Revelation. And we're going to apply some of the things we learned from this, and we're going to apply it to the book of Revelation. We're not going to spend like a year and a half on the book of Revelation. We're, we're just going to go through a few themes in the book of Revelation so you have a general idea. You can read it for yourself after that, but uh, yeah, we're not going to spend too much time on Revelation because... I think I'll lose some brain cells just doing that all the time. So uh, let's start today by asking this question. What is the Bible? And the reason why this is so important is depending on how you answer this question, you will read the Bible differently. So somebody once told me that the Bible stands for, uh, was it basic instructions before leaving earth? It, I mean, it's pretty, pretty clever, right? But is the Bible an instruction manual? If it is, if that's what you think it is, then every command you see in the Bible you're going to try to follow, including the weird verses in the Bible that talk about how, uh, how to sacrifice you know, cows and stuff like that. And, uh, right? That's what an instruction book is. It's like an Ikea thing. right? You read through it and it says, I'm supposed to have these parts and I'm supposed to do this. And if you have any parts left over, then you probably missed a step. And that's how you're going to treat the Bible. right? Um, if you think that the Bible is a book of like things that you quote, and if you quote it, then God's going to move in a special way. There was actually a group of people who did that. They believed that the writings of Solomon were a bunch of spells, and they used it. They quoted passages from the book of Proverbs and other parts of the Bible, hoping that they could get the angels of God to move in a certain way. But that all comes from what they believed the Bible to be. Some people thought that the Bible was an accurate historical document. So if you were to say like, hey, if the Bible says that there was a flood, a worldwide flood, where all the people were, were, you know, were killed, they drowned, that's exactly what happened. There's no doubt about it because the Bible must be a historical document with no errors in it. And so if you think that's what the Bible is, then you're going to read it like that, right? So the very first lesson today, we have to understand what is the Bible, right? Do you think that's important? Okay, good. So... What is a Bible? The Bible is a library, meaning it's not just one book. There's a collection of 66 books that's put together, so that's why the Bible is not one book. It's a library, a collection of books. Uh, if you come from different Christian traditions, you have more, right? You have books in between. It's called the intertestamental books, so like between the Old and New Testament, you have extra books in there. Um, different Bibles have different amount of chapters, different ways to number the verses. I mean, I think as Americans, we think that the Bible we have in our hand is the true version of the Bible, but it turns out we're one of many, right? So the Bible is a library of ancient literature, okay, meaning these books are thousands of years old, and we're to treat it as such. Okay, I, I know we have it like just collecting dust, but it's, 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 a, it's one of the most well-preserved books in the entire world of all history. Okay, so keep that in mind that it's actually very sacred. So the Bible is a library of ancient literature, and this is the part that we're focusing on today. 
representing a partnership of humanity and divinity. Humanity and divinity. It's God and people working together to create this collection of literature. Now, the reason why we have to talk about this is because I believe, and I might be wrong, you could tell me this is, you know, if you heard something else. I heard that the most common view of people thinking what the Bible is, is that they believe that the Bible comes from heaven. Let me illustrate that. Here's a diagram. This is us down here, and that's God up there. And one day, next slide, like God decided to bless us. So, ah, and then the, you know, the clouds parted, and then what came out of the clouds? The golden tablets, and now we have the Bible, right? And if this is your view of the Bible, and I'm not, well, I guess I'm mocking you, but I, I'm trying not to, but okay. This, by the way, is the lowest form of our view of a Bible. If you think this is what it is, that's fine. You're, you're free to believe whatever you want, okay? But if this is your view of the Bible, I wanna let you know of all the tiers of how we ought to view the Bible, this is the lowest tier. And if you view the Bible this way, then it comes along with a lot of assumptions. It comes with assumptions like the Bible cannot have any errors. That whatever the Bible says, if I were to take a verse out of the Bible, you know, from here and from there and put it together, because it's divine, it still makes sense. You know, we make all these assumptions about the Bible. Some of you guys felt guilty. If you spent your days reading something that's not the Bible, you're like, oh, I'm such a sinner because I'm not reading the Bible, right? Or if you haven't, if you've been to a Bible study and you're like, this isn't really working for me. I must be a bad Christian, right? There's nothing in the Bible that talks about how people who can't read the Bible are bad people. Doesn't say that, but we make that assumption, right? Uh, we even uphold some people uphold the Bible as one of the most important things in Christianity. Forgetting the fact that the Bible didn't exist for the first 300 years of Christianity, right? And, you know, there's a joke in seminary that says, um, a lot of Christians believe in the Holy Trinity, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Like, they, they elevate it to a level of God at some point, right? Okay, where do we get this idea that the Bible is some divine thing that came from the clouds? Well, there's one verse, that might make us think this, okay? And this is from 2 Timothy 3.16. It says in our version, the NIV, New International Version, just a lot of versions of the Bible out there. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? Well, this is written in Greek originally, right? And different translators translated this differently. So here are some different translations of that. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? So we often hear people say, oh, the scriptures is, is an inspired work of art, uh, work of literature from God. We've heard like this is inspired. So why are we talking about this? Okay, the question of what is the Bible, okay, is usually answered by the second question, which is what does inspired mean? If we can answer this, okay, then we can figure out what these authors meant by the Bible being inspired. But the problem is this. We all have our own version of what it means to be inspired, right? Somebody's thinking like, oh, you know, I'm sure one of the authors sat down at a desk and then went in this trance, you know, like, oh, I'm gonna write something. Oh, look, Genesis, you know, right? <laughs> Other people think like, you know, you're sitting at a desk. Nobody here thinks, all right, well, today I guess I'll sit down and write the Bible. 
right? Instead, some people think, hey, you know, I'm going to see, I'm just going to pray, I'm going to fast for, you know, weeks or maybe months, because this is the Bible after all, and um, let's see what God does with my, okay, whoa, okay, God, you're writing stuff, and you're reading it as it's being dictated, like, wow, this is so inspiring, whoa, there's more stuff here, you know, like, is that what, like, what does it mean to be inspired? Because we all have our own definitions of what inspired means, right? Maybe, like, when you're writing the Bible, you lost all personality because God just over took your body and, you know, like, is that what it means? So how about this? What does the Bible say about the Bible? Because believe it or not, the Bible actually tells us how the Bible came to be. I don't know if you guys know that, right? So this is a classroom setting. Here's a little participation, okay? Where do you think the first mention of how the Bible's written is mentioned in the Bible? Okay, but where in the Bible does it say? Good one, Spencer. <laughs> now, okay, yeah. huh? Deuteronomy. A little earlier than that, but yeah. Genesis. I love Genesis. I wish it was in Genesis. It's actually found in the book of Exodus. The first mention is in Exodus chapter 17. In case you're like, oh, of course, Exodus 17. There's a story where Moses pulls all the slaves out of Egypt and they're walking in the desert. Now, these people who were farmers, they were making bricks, they were, you know, slaves or just doing labor work, they don't know how to fight an army. So they, God pulls them out of um, Egypt, and now they're in the middle of the desert, and these group of people called the Melekites are like, hey, look at all those people who have all their stuff with them, and they have no way of defending them themselves. So they went and attacked the Israelites. Once Moses found out about this, he's like, oh my goodness, what should we do, what should we do? Hey, Joshua, can you gather a bunch of people together and fight them off? And as Moses is watching all this, this battle taking place, he takes his staff and raises it above his head, and all of a sudden he realizes when he raises his staff over his head, they start winning, and when he puts his hands down, the staff comes down, they start losing. So he's like, oh, gotta keep it up. And, but I don't know if it doesn't say, you know, if it's because the staff is really heavy or if he's just weak. I'm sure the staff was heavy, right? He starts coming down and they start losing. And so um, Moses' you know, uh, brother Aaron and, and other guy, her, he, you know, they hold their arms up for him and they start winning and they win the battle. That's how the story goes. And then this is what happens. This is what it says in Exodus 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Now, does, is there any indication here that like, Moses was in a trance or that God had control over his hand? Or, you know, I don't know, right? It just says God told him commands like, Moses, I want everybody to remember this story. Write it down. One day, millions of people are gonna be reading about this. Why? Because this story needs to be remembered. This is the first instance when the Bible talks about how it was written. God told Moses, and Moses wrote it down. Okay? The second instance happens in Exodus chapter 24. This is after the Ten Commandments. God's like, okay, now that I pulled you out into safety, what I'm going to do with you is, well, we need to have some kind of contract. If you want to be my people, you have to behave a certain way. You have to live a certain way. So he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then the very next chapter, they break the Ten Commandments. And so he gives them even more rules to make sure that they don't break the original Ten. And eventually they have 42 rules, 42 commands from God, right? 
And most of them have to do with social justice. Like, this is how you treat people who have less than you and so forth, okay? And as he's talking about these things, Moses goes to his people and says, this is what the Lord has given me to give to you. Do you guys want to sign the contract? This is how that story goes. When Moses went and told the people all the, uh, uh, told, told the, people all the Lord's words and, and laws, the commands, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Okay, next verse. So Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Here's the second instance of the Bible being composed. Right? He's not in a trance. He's not being zapped by God, right? It's not like God has control over his hand or, or that he's overriding, God is overriding Moses' personality or anything. He's just writing down what God told him to write down, right? So inspiration of the scriptures in the Old Testament, first of all, looks like this. God commands a person to record an event or teaching. Pretty straightforward, right? But this is not the only time that the Bible records for us about how the Bible came to be, right? Because if this was it, then you would be like, okay, so inspiration of the Bible, this is what it means. God told somebody to write it down, he wrote it down, right? Here's a second instance. Sometimes inspiration of the Old Testament is a quote from another document. Here's an example of that, Numbers, the book of Numbers. The Arnon, uh, the Arnon this is a geographical passage, tells you about the land. The Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites, that is why the book of the wars of the Lord says, oh, that, well, yeah, okay, let's go back, sorry, my bad. Okay, we're not gonna say what it says, but you can read it if you want, okay, but what I'm trying to say here is this. The Bible has a quotation from another document, a document called the book of the wars of the Lord, which is not in existence now. We don't know what this book is. It just says, hey, as you guys know that book, well, I'm just quoting it here, so another document is cited in the Bible. So the Bible could be a quote from another document, right? Here's another example of that. This is in Joshua. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, this is what he said, <clears throat> sun stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ihalan. I okay, anyways, next verse. <laughs> so the sun stood still and the moon stopped, till the nations avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jashar. What is the book of Jashar? I don't know, right? But apparently, they quoted the book of Jashar here. Some other writing made it into the Bible, and that's considered inspired scripture. Another example, this is from 1 Kings. <clears throat> the other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled are written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel. So there's like another book that has all the information, and it's like, hey, I want to refer you to that book. You know, yeah, and if you're wondering, Israel, well, is there one for Judah? Yes, there is. Next verse. As for the other events of Jeroboam's reign, all and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? Right? So next slide. <clears throat> so this is considered to be inspired by God. Interesting. Is that it? There's more. Number three. Sometimes... Um, inspired scripture in the Old Testament is, it, is a document that's edited by a second author. I'll show you. This is a really interesting one. This one is the one that really made me wrestle a little bit. Let's go next one. Here you go. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Now, why is that so weird? 
for those of you Bible nerds, why is this so weird? It's talking about Moses. Huh? Did Moses write that book? Yeah, so tradition says that the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses, and apparently Moses long lived, lived long enough to write about the day that he died, which is weird, right? So somebody afterwards came along and added this in there, right? And since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. Well, Moses didn't write that because he doesn't know the day after he died, somebody, you know, right? Like whoever wrote this, wrote this, added this to the scriptures afterwards. And this was common knowledge to the Jews. It's not like they're like, wait a minute. There's some conspiracy happening in this. Like there's even a verse in the book of Deuteronomy that says that Moses was the most humble guy. And we're like, did Moses write that? You're like, I'm the, not to brag, but I am the most humble person in the world, right? Here's another example of this. So both of Lot's daughters, okay, this is kind of weird, um, became pregnant by their father. Let's ignore that for a second, okay? <clears throat> or forever, I don't know. <laughs> the older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today? When is today? I, I think a lot of us think that, you know, didn't Moses write this down as it was happening? Well, in Genesis, Moses wasn't born yet, so he's probably writing about something that happened in the past. But when Moses wrote these words, Moab like, was still really small. Like, whoever wrote this added this right here, saying, even today, if you think about the nation of Moab, it came from this guy right here. So who wrote that? Who added that? There's another example, chapter 19, uh, here we go. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Amorites today. When, when is today? The biggest evidence of ed editing happening in the scriptures is in Jeremiah. This is a fun story, by the way. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, because that's how I write my planner, you know, like in the fourth year of Donald Trump or you know, whatever, okay. Uh, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So this is like an intro, giving you like a little setting, right? Next verse. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you. So this is just like the first example, right? concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Hey, everything I just taught you, Jeremiah, write it down. Everything's like, yeah, just write it down. Okay, but Jeremiah, he's not really good at writing, so Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and while Jer Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on the scroll. So now we have somebody narrating, dictating, and somebody taking notes. And that's how the book of Jeremiah was written. But check this out. Um, <clears throat> oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me give you more context. Okay. So this letter, the, the, I mean, this text that he's writing, that he's having Baruch write, is very offensive to the rich people and the people who were rulers at the time. Very offensive. It was about social justice, and people don't like to hear about that sometimes, right? And so as he's writing this, Jeremiah's like, I really don't want to share this publicly with everybody. So what do you do if you're a prophet that needs to share something and you're afraid to do it? You have Baruch go and tell it to the people for you, right? So Baruch goes to town, and he reads the scroll that he just wrote that was dictated by Jeremiah. And as he's reading it, the people who have power in the town, they're like, yeah, we need to read this to the king because this is going to get you guys in a lot of trouble. So they take the scroll over to the king, and the king is like pompously sitting on his throne, you know, reclining, and he's like, what, what does that scroll say? And so as they read it to him, <clears throat> excuse me, as they read it to him, they, he reads a column, he takes out a knife, he slices off that part of the scroll, crumples it up, and throws it in the fire. 
He reads another, par- another paragraph, another column. He cuts it off, throws it in the fire, and eventually he burns the entire scroll. He says, this is what I think about your message, Jeremiah. Okay? Next slide. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah, and this is what he did. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that, Jeho- that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. He's creating a second edition, okay? And many similar words were added to them. In the second edition of Jeremiah, he added more things to it. it doesn't say what he added, whether if these extra words were from Jeremiah's heart, whether if he's quoting another person, or if it was something you know, like some inspiration he found around, I don't know what it is, but he just said, there's a second edition of this book and I added more words to it. And this is not a secret. People who know the scriptures know very clearly that there's a second edition of, of Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we're getting, getting more nerdy here, um, Sometimes <laughs> um, they'll even quote saying, this is from the first edition and this is from the second edition. So, and by the way, even today, when you read the book of Jeremiah and you think you have the only version of the Bible, the, the only authorized version, if you go to other parts of the world, some people will have a different version of Jeremiah than you do. Interesting, right? So, um, and this is a very public thing. It is not a secret. It's not a secret at all. So let's go to the list again. So we have God commands a person to write it down. That's considered to be inspired by you know, inspired writing the Old Testament. Quoting another document that's not the Bible, that's considered to be inspired. Uh, edited by a second author, that's also, right? Um, by the way, the book of Isaiah is really long, and I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's really long. And if you thought that Isaiah wrote the entire book, you'd be mistaken. And the reason we know that's not true is because if you go from chapter one to chapter 39, and then from chapter 40, you realize that there's a 150-year gap in there. There's no way that Isaiah was able to live past 150 and, well, he was old enough to write something and then 150 years passed and he was still okay to write everything else after that, right? There's a belief, and this is the most commonly accepted version of this, which is that the book of Isaiah was written by three authors, right? It's, for you nerds, it's called the Proto-Isaiah, the Deutero-Isaiah, and the Trito. Isaiah, those are the three authors, right? So it's common knowledge that there are other authors that got involved in editing these things. By the way, I know I have a lot of by the ways. <laughs> this is like a dream come true to me because I get to nerd out with you guys. Or I'm just nerding out by myself, I don't know, okay? <laughs> um, when it says, and this is here to this day, scholars believe that this day, the today that they talked about earlier, is talking about the age of the kings, like first, second kings, that age, so. Okay, so let's go to the list. Last one. Another form of inspired writing in the Old Testament are various wise sayings. A lot of wisdom literature is found in the book of Proverbs. Look at this, Proverbs chapter 22, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So I guess a prince writing something down that made it to the Bible is is considered inspired writing, okay? But let's look at another section. These are more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So apparently, Solomon wrote a lot of things, and Hezekiah's men were like, hey, look at all these writings. Let's compile it together and put it in the Bible. That's considered to be inspired. How about this? Agur. 
The sayings of Agur, son of Jake, or Jake from State Farm, Jake, and inspired utterance, this man's utterance to Ithiel. So who is Agur? We have no clue who Agur is. He appears here in the Bible and never appears again. But apparently, his writings were really good. And they're like, let's throw this in the Bible too. That's inspired by God. The next one is my favorite, and you moms are going to love this too. <clears throat> the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. It's like, my mom told me something. Oh my gosh, that is so in the Bible, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so let's look at the list again. Inspiration in the Old Testament. God commands a person to record an event that's inspired by God. Quote from another document that's inspired by God. Edited by a second author that's inspired by God. Various writings, uh, wise sayings, and then finally visions. And in Isaiah chapter 6, there's a story about how Isaiah was in the presence of God. And he saw this angel, these four angels circling around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, right? Who was and is and is to come. And then the train of his robe filled the whole temple. Like, I had a vision. I'm going to write it down. That's inspired writing. Ezekiel chapter 11, he has this crazy vision of these wheels turning, it's on fire, and all these eyes, you know, like, hmm, I'm going to write that down too, <laughs> right? Um, visions. These are inspired writings by God. And none of this stuff is like secret. This is public, right? If you actually read the Bible, you'll find out what the Bible claims itself to be. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. What does it say? What does it mean for the Bible to be inspired in the New Testament? First one, uh, Jesus deputizes his followers to write his story and teachings. So here's Matthew chapter 28. This is what he says. Therefore, he's talking to his disciples, his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father uh, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What are we supposed to do? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. How do we teach people? Well, we got to write down, record everything that you said, right? So the first kind is basically they create these biographies. They, we call them gospels. And that's considered to be inspired writing. Luke chapter 1, another gospel of, of Jesus, a biography. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many. Meaning, when Luke wrote down the book of Luke, he said, even before I put my pen to the paper, there are lots of people who told this story. But this time, I'm going to tell a little differently, right? Because just as they were handed down to us by those uh, whom from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Like, we know we have all these documents because there are a lot of eyewitness, eyewitnesses, and they've all told us these stories. Next verse. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, he's an investigator, I too decided to write an orderly account. A lot of people have told stories here and there. I'm compiling them, making sure that it's put in a way that's easy to understand, and I have investigated. Investigated in this day means he actually interviewed, talked to people who were eyewitnesses. The book of Luke has a very interesting passage that the other biographies don't have. There's a song that Mary, mother of Jesus, sings, and the lyrics are recorded for us. Scholars think that Luke actually interviewed Mary. Investigation is pretty cool, right? And most excellent Theophilus. I wrote this for a guy named Theophilus. This guy named Theophilus has heard all these stories about Jesus from other people, and he had a hard time understanding it. He had a hard time believing it. And so Theophilus hired Luke, an investigator, to, to do all this work so that, so that, 
you may know with certainty of the things you have been taught. So, here are the two. Jesus deputizes followers to write the stories and teachings. Investigation of Jesus' story. Third one, Jesus' story with an agenda. Some writers wrote the story of Jesus knowing full well what the end goal was. Okay, this is from the book of John, chapter 20. He says, Jesus performed many other signs. This is the end of the book, by the way. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Meaning, there's so many more things I could have written, but I picked and choose. I edited myself and picked and choose the stories and the miracles of Jesus so that I could achieve a specific goal. Let's keep reading. But these are written to you, uh, written that you may believe. That's the reason why I'm writing this, so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm writing this, and I ordered everything, maybe even taking things out of order and chronologically out of order, so that, with this one purpose in mind, that you will believe that Jesus is who he said that he was. The next chapter over, he also says this. Jesus did many other things as well, If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. He makes it very clear. There's more things I could have said, but I didn't because I just want to focus on this one agenda I have. So it's not a secret, right? He has an agenda. Next on the list, it was written with another person's assistance. Uh, We saw Jeremiah do that with Baruch, right? We do that in the New Testament also. Let's take a look. This is Paul writing the book of Romans. This is the very first verse of the book of Romans. He says, Paul, that's me, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This is a common introduction to a letter. He starts off by saying, hey, I'm Paul. You know me, right? And then the very last verse, chapter 16, verse 22, not very last, but in the last chapter, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So he hired a guy named Tertius to write down the things that Paul was saying. Very common. The next one's interesting. This is from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, another way of introducing yourself, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Right? He starts by saying, you know who, this is me, Peter. I'm writing the letter to you guys. Right? But in the very last section, it says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. So he had the help of Silas. As a matter of fact, If you know the Gospels, you'll know that Peter's number one accusation was that he is an unlearned, uneducated man. He was a fisherman. There's no way that he speaks or writes Greek in the way that he did here. The way, for the scholars who studied this letter, first, first and second Peter, it's a high form, a very fancy form of Greek. There's no way that Peter knows how to write that. So Peter probably spoke to Silas in Hebrew, and Silas translated it and wrote it down in a very eloquent version of Greek. So here it is, right? So let me recap. I know that's like a fire hose of like, like a lot of information, right? Let me summarize it here. Writings inspired by God include historical events, citations of documents, multiple editions, wise sayings from your mom, right? Visions, authorized uh, biographies, investigations, personal agendas, uh, dictations, etc. And by et cetera, I'm talking about there's also, this is not the full list. There's also poetry, poems by people who are running for their lives, poetry about people who are running for their lives. Uh, there's, there's letters, there's prophecies. There's a lot more to this list. But I just want to give you an idea that the Bible is not, like I said, 
If you believe that the Bible is some golden tablet that came from the heaven and landed on your lap, that is the lowest form of our understanding of the Bible. For the Bible to be inspired, it means a lot of things, a lot of things. And I thought, what is a good way of, of explaining what this is, right? What is the best way? And I was like, I couldn't think of anything. And then I came across some resources. And I read a lot of books written by people who are smarter than me, which is a lot of people. Like, I'll read everything because, okay, anyways. Um, and then uh, this person from the Bible Project, his name is Dr. Tim Mackey, he shared this image. This is a, a drawing, a sketch, or what do you call it, illustration by a guy named M.C. Escher. M.C. Escher. I don't know, I can't think of MC Hammer. Okay, MC Escher, <clears throat> right? And basically, it's a hand drawing itself, and it's drawing itself, and it goes in the circle, right? And I like to think of this as God and humanity working together. Because sometimes, we, like Christians, we think that it's all God and no humanity. And if we look at the Bible by erasing this part of the portrait, we end up with this idea that, you know, um, like, just imagine if you believe that everything was from God, that everything you're reading is straight from God. You start thinking like, oh, look, I found one mistake in the Bible. Or you find out there's two versions of Jeremiah. Oh, I, I, I can't believe in the Bible anymore. What do you, what do you mean that, that there was not a worldwide flood? Your whole faith crumbles because of the faith you put in a a collection of texts that, that, that was not completely divine, right? But at the same time, if you were to erase God, because there are people who are like, no, the Bible is something that's just written by people, by a bunch of men, right? And it's oppressive, right? So you take out God from this image, right? Then you end up with, with people who are actually very smart saying things like this, like, well, this is not written by God because we don't believe in God. And so it's only written by people and that's it. And there are passages in the Bible that predicts the future, a prophecy, and it happens, but there's no way they could do that because God is not real. And so therefore, this text must have been written after the fact these things came true. And they kind of lied to us and said that it was written before, so that makes it look like they have the power to prophesy. Right? Some people believe that these, there are scholars, I actually learned this when I was at school in, at UCLA, one of the professors said, it is impossible that the Gospels were written before the end of the first century because there's no way that Jesus could die and rise again. But so that must have been a legend, and it usually takes two to three generations before a legend could be formed. A mythology could be formed about somebody. So therefore, the gospel was written probably in the year 300, which every archeological evidence says no. It was written before, like from the year 50 to the year 100. Like it, it happened really soon after, right? So that's why it's important that we have both. This is what the scripture is, right? Because I think if you believe that the Bible is only divine, we end up becoming disenchanted, right? Like, like, hey, you know, like you probably heard like popular, like a Dan Brown, uh, what is it called, Da Vinci Code, right? It's like, hey, we found some secret documents, right? <laughs> like, oh, did you know that there was other books that were, in the, you know, that were supposed to be included in the Bible, but they cut it out because it made look, Jesus look less divine, which is completely, can I say BS in, in church? Okay, it's completely BS, right? Um, if you look at the other scriptures that they were not included in the Bible, it makes Jesus look even more divine, but that's beside the point, right? Or, or if somebody were to say, hey, you know, I know you believe the Bible's from God, but did you know that people wrote it down? You're like, oh, there goes my faith. <laughs> or, hey, there's another version of Jeremiah. It's like, ooh, I can't trust the Bible anymore. Or in the book of, um, 
Romans, there's a character named Junius. But that character's name was originally Junia, a woman's name, and they changed it to a man's name because the people who were involved in writing the Bible, translating the Bible, thought, we can't have a woman here. And when you find out about that scandal, you're like, oh, I can't trust in the Bible anymore. There are no conspiracies in the Bible. All this stuff is public. People who studied the Bible, people who read the Bible hundreds and thousands of years ago knew about this stuff because they knew that, yes, the Bible is sacred, it's very important, it's a historical document, but it doesn't mean that it's without flaws. And we'll talk about that in the future if you guys wanna talk about it. The Bible is very public about what it claims to be, okay? So, the statement that I wanna end with is what we started with. The Bible is a library, collection of books, of ancient literature representing a partnership of humanity and divinity. So, if somebody were to ask you, hey, is the Bible from God or is it from humanity? The answer, of course, is yes. All right. Now, I know that some of this stuff, for those of you, some of you, it might be like really jarring what we talked about today. But I wanted to make sure that what we talked about today came straight from the scriptures. Okay, this is not my opinion about what the Bible is. It's what the Bible claims about itself, okay? So, but I know for some people, you know, this might be jarring, it might be challenging for you. So I figure you might have some questions or comments, so I wanna open up to questions and comments. Yes? Who is uh, this quote attributed to? That's me. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, is it, did I misspell something? No, no, no. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, okay. The term, the word of God. Oh, the question, oh, sorry. I'm supposed to repeat the question. Um, the first question was, who came up with this, this phrase? Answer me. Okay, and your question was, where do we get the word, uh, where do we get the phrase word of God? So the Bible uses the word, the word of God, but here's the confusing thing, and this might confuse some of you, but this is nerd out time, so we're gonna be okay. Um, Sometimes in the New Testament, when they refer to the word of God, they're actually referring to Jesus. As is mentioned in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, right? And I think a lot of times when people are looking for verses, talking about the Bible, they see the word, word of God and they think immediately talking about the scriptures. But um, you have to know its context to know. Oh, by the way, speaking of context, sorry, ADD, my brain goes all over the place. If you believe that the Bible was only from God, then context plays no part. But if you believe that God and humanity work together to create the scriptures, then context really matters, right? So that's another thing to think about. Okay, but I hope I answered your question. Um, word of God, you have to know when and where it's used. And we'll talk about context uh, in a few weeks from now, so yes. Yes? Um, I might take a while asking this question, so. Yeah. I will try, um, yes. <laughs> when I first really started studying the Bible and stuff and, you know, first converted and stuff like that, um, I kind of had this understanding that the Bible is what shows you what God is and, you know, what God has been to people in history. Um, but, like, eventually I started to, like, learn and, like, you know, talk with others that there's more to God than what there just is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So could you comment on that? Yeah, okay, let me try to repeat what you just said. 
Uh, let, me, let me see if I could make it shorter too. Um, <laughs> um, the, the Bible does explain to us the character of who God is. But is it limited to just that? Is the Bible a complete revelation of God? Is that, yeah, okay. And the answer to that is depends on who you talk to, <laughs> right? It depends on which scholar or which pastor you talk to. Uh, I'll share with you my personal pers position on this. Okay, it doesn't mean you have to adopt it. Um, I believe that God is so big that he cannot be contained in a book or a collection of books. But I believe that each book and every description that God, of God in the scriptures points us to the bigger picture, right? Um, when people have said that the Bible is a living document, have you heard say that the, the word of God is living? Have you guys heard that phrase before? It means that um, what was true back then is also true today and for the future. Meaning, if God is love in the scripture, it's not like in 2024, next year, he's all of a sudden gonna be like, ah, I changed my mind on that, I'm gonna be mean, you know, right? <laughs> right, it's, it's this continual living thing and we discover more and more of who he is. I believe Peter, in one of his writings, he said that right now when we look, um, when we think about God, it's a very limited version of what we see of God. Right, and these are. This is written by a person who walked with Jesus and, right, um, uh, has read, heard stories of the Old Testament. That one day we're going to have a better view of who God really is, and I think he's talking about the day that he stands before the Lord and he has eternity to get to know Him. And even at that point, um, it may not be enough time. Um, there's a apologist that once put it this way: um, the reason why we'll never be bored in heaven is because one day you stand before a God and you're like, oh my gosh, I never saw that about you, God. That just blows my mind. And the next day, you're like, oh my gosh, there's an aspect of you I never saw before that just blows my mind. And continually, and you discover more and more about him. But I believe that for the history of Israel, that's what the Old Testament's about, that was the amount that they learned about God and they recorded it for us, right? Just to take one part and make a whole theology about who God is would be erroneous, it's dangerous. Just because at one point God flooded the earth, you could just say, therefore God is angry and God wants to destroy people. But if you read the bigger story, you discover that that was actually an act of mercy. So um, I believe that we, what we have right now is a small s section of what God thinks that we need to know about him, and I think we'll learn more as we go along. Hope that answers. Yes, Arthur. Many years ago, I started to read even a wrong perception mm -hmm. until you find it differently. Yes, yeah. Is it the way that... Yeah, so there, you brought up a lot of things. I don't know if I could repeat everything you just said, um, but uh, maybe in my answering, you guys could formulate what the question was. Um, so you mentioned the creation story, the creation narrative. Um, maybe I'll talk about that part in a different... Uh, series. Maybe talk about next year when we talk, I'm thinking about talking about Genesis next year. But in a nutshell, um, the Genesis creation story is a retelling of a story that already existed. So that's, but the, so I don't know if Moses was shown a video or an image of what happened there, because at the time they already had an image of how the world was created. And then what Moses did was he came in and he changed that story to fit God's character more. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, as far as the tabernacle goes, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of imagery in there. Bread, candlesticks, uh, curtains, smoke, all those things are there to remind people of something. And that something 
is actually pointing back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, there's there's a, a lot of things, and there are you know even the decorations, and there's there's images of angels on the curtain and stuff like that. All that stuff is re- is representing Genesis chapter one and two. And so the 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 Jews at the time they were very visual. When we today we talk about God, we use words like God is Almighty, God is powerful, God is all knowing. In the in the Jewish culture, they won't use descriptors like that. I mean, they would, but not as much. They would use words like, God is my rock, God is my shelter, God, they use imageries, because that's how they thought, right? So I think the use of imagination is extremely important, like you said, in um, understanding what the Bible is teaching us. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah? Oh, okay, I'll get to you in a second, is that okay? Yeah, we have questions from the chat. Okay, Alan, uh, great question. Uh, the Bible in- inerrancy issue. Uh, I'm wondering if I should just answer it now or make a whole sermon about it. <laughs> uh, here is a quick uh, um, overview. A nutsh- this is in a nutshell. Inerrancy means that the Bible has no mistakes. Okay, But the question is, what do you mean by no mistakes? Like grammatically, if I were to say, um, my dog is brown, right? And I don't have a period at the end. Is that the statement is true, but the grammar is wrong, right? Or the first letter wasn't capitalized or something, right? So what do you mean by inerrant? Because there are writings in Paul's writings where he does this crazy run-on sentence without any, punct- well, okay, there was no punctuation back then, but it's like this crazy run-on sentence and grammatically it's wrong, right? Or when Jesus says, uh, the mustard seed is the smallest seed. But in those days, in that region, the mustard seed was not the smallest seed. Was Jesus wrong? Right? So, um, so there's this word inerrancy. It means nothing is wrong in the Bible. Um, that concept was developed in the 1900s. It's a fairly new belief. What existed before then that most people believe in is called infallibility. The Bible is infallible. What that means is what the Bible is trying to teach us, right? If the whole Genesis story is trying to teach us this one thing about God, that one thing that we're supposed to learn from the book of whatever the author intended us for us to learn, that lesson is infallible, meaning that cannot be wrong. So that's the difference between infallibility and inerrancy. Inerrancy has a lot of issues. It's errant. You know, it's kind of weird to say that, but yeah. So infallibility, I give it a thumbs up. That's my take on it. Inerrancy, I give it a thumbs down. Um, Maybe I don't want to preach on it. I just told you. (laughs) Yes, Calvin. I'll get back to the second one. Yeah. Ah, good. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've heard you say that before. Subjective truth versus objective truth. The question is, if the Bible does not contain the complete knowledge of who God is, um, that means that we're still adding to the story today. So how does, what does that look like? The way that I look at it is that um, God meets us wherever we are. Right? So in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, a group of people who were raised in Egyptian culture and also Mesopotamian culture, they knew the mythologies of that time. God met them there and revealed to them through that culture. God meets us where we are. In the same way that the Bible is a combination of humanity and, uh, humanity and divinity, the way that God works through humanity is also a partnership. Right? So God meeting people in the days of the first century Palestine, right? Jesus came as a human being and met, right, in the midst of the Roman occupation and all that kind of stuff. God met them in a different way than they did in the Old Testament. 
So I believe that God meets us wherever we are. And in the, in today, right, during the pandemic, I think God met with us in a different way because God couldn't meet us in a gathering like this, right, because we're all at home. I believe that God met us through different ways. And it was really hard, as a pastor, it was really hard for me to figure out what that was. And the way that I discovered that was through the prayer team of Westlake. I realized, oh my gosh, like God is working, even though we're all separate, through the prayer team, I'm starting to realize that we're still connected, and that's how God is meeting with us now. But I don't see anything in the Bible that talks about how God meets us through Zoom meetings, you know, right? So I think that we all have to have our antennas up trying to figure out how is God going to meet us in this new context that we're in. And I'm not saying we should add to the Bible. The Bible is canonized, it's closed, we're not going to add any more. But in terms of our understanding of God, every single different season of human history just blows my mind. How did God meet people during World War II? Oh, blows my mind, right? You hear about these stories of like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how he stood against the Nazis. Wow, I didn't know that God could do that, you know? So I think God keeps revealing himself in new ways. It's just amazing how God does that, right? Uh huh. It's, it's all about objective truth and all that. Oh. Stuff. Okay. A long time ago, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote a message for all. Keep the main thing the main thing. Class keeps relevant. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you guys just missed a cool haiku. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I, I'm redeemed in the eyes of Kelvin. Um, <laughs> I just want you to know. When you read the Bible as some kind of a, I'm sorry, we're over time. I'll make this quick. Um, when you read the Bible as a book of instructions, right, and we believe the Bible is inerrant, then you assume that what you get out of the Bible is only objectivity. And I think that if we do that, we're missing a big good part. A lot of it is poetry in the Bible. And we're missing, if we say that poetry is objective, then I think we're missing part of it. Last question, is it a long one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, I'll make this really quick and then I'll dismiss you guys. I'm so sorry. I know you have to go. Um, when it comes to the book of Revelation, there's a part in it that says you cannot add to this. And the reason why it says that is, is because it was common knowledge back then that editors would come in later and add and change prophecies and stuff like that. So John, who wrote the book of Revelation, made it clear, you cannot add to this or edit it because this is exactly how I received him from God. Please leave it alone. That's why he wrote that in there.